and enjoy, but it is a big day. I, uh, I, I, feel, I just feel like 3121 Broncos. That's what God told me. I, I, <laughs> I'm kidding. I uh, don't speak for God too much. You guys are so generous. You know, last weekend, the big U-Count weekend, anti-human trafficking and the silent auction and the uh, sales uh, of so much stuff, the offering at the Windsor campus, the offering here is now over $72,000. So thank you so much. I mean, it just makes all the difference. Powerful. So if you weren't here last weekend and you want to participate in that, people have all throughout the week, so feel free to, to do that. But we're having fun. I, I'm loving what's going on today. And, and for the next eight weeks, we're in a series that is going to challenge you. It's challenging me. And uh, we've called this series Others. I like the name because it's kind of like you could make it kind of spooky if you wanted to, you know? Like we might do a weekend that kind of scares you. It's kind of like Lost. Remember that? Did you guys watch that show? The show that never made sense and it like, even when it ended, it like didn't really end. It's like, what are they thinking? I think they, anyway, um, others. And so where are the others in your world? Who are the others that God's going to put into your life? We're going we're gonna to kind of dive into what that means. Let me tell you a quick story. It, it was Christmas Eve, 1910. It was in London, England. And there was a guy by the name of William Booth. Anybody know who that is? General William Booth, who started the Salvation Army. And they were having their annual convention, and General Booth was about to die. He, he had a lot of problems with his eyes. He was pretty much an invalid at, at, the, at the end. But one of the things that he did consistently was bring kind of a talk or a speech or a word at the opening of each convention to remind uh, the representatives why the Salvation Army existed. Because it's easy to lose focus after years. And so this was his job. So they said to him, would you come and remind us why we do what we do and what's the purpose of the Salvation Army? And he just couldn't make it physically. So they said, could you send a telegram? And we will read it. But just make sure that it says what you want us to remember because this is going to set the, the tone for why the Salvation Army exists. So he wrote a telegram. He sent the telegram. They received the telegram. In front of thousands of delegates, um, the moderator got up and opened the telegram and said, this is from General Booth. And it had one word in it. Others. And then it was signed... General Booth. His, his attempt, and he died shortly after that, his attempt to say what matters most is others. It's why we exist as a church. Because all of us were others at one time, and God said, let's go to the others. And Jesus came to this earth for the others. And because we are connected with God and we now are part of that family, we now have the opportunity to be connection agents for God, to go to the others, whoever they are. And we're going to talk about the shapes and sizes and the challenges of others and how we need to build a bridge to them. So it kind of pumps me up when I think about that. We're going to use a guy. We're going to use a guy named Barnabas in this series because he was special in seeing other people and their potential. 
He's, he's like the guy that would find the shy kid in the room that doesn't ever talk. And he's the guy that like go put his arm around him and say, hey, how you doing, buddy? That was Barnabas. As a matter of fact, this is really, this is really fascinating. Barnabas is, how many of you know who Barnabas is in the Bible? Okay, he's talked about a lot. We're going to have eight weeks of talking about him. So you're going to know him really well. That's not his real name. You know how he got that name? What's his real name, first of all? Anybody know? Joseph. Joseph is his real name, and the disciples gave him a nickname. And in doing so, they put two Greek words together, para and klesis, paraklesis, which means one who encourages, or son of encouragement. And, and klesis actually has a prophetic side to it, which means to come alongside as an advocate. So, how, how many of you have nicknames? I'm just curious. Nicknames. Okay, quite a few. The stories of how people get nicknames sometimes are really bad and sometimes really good, but usually really fun either way, right? I, I never had a nickname because Derry is such a weird name anyway. Yeah, people are like, what's your real name? I'm like, oh, this is my real name. But the idea here is that Barnabas came alongside so many people so often that the apostles actually changed his name. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, started saying Barnabas instead of Joseph. And so, what marks us? What do we do so well that we actually are renamed because of it? This is a fascinating story. So, as we look at this, I want you to just think, in Acts chapter 4, here's how it kind of came about. In, in Luke writing, he's writing to this guy named Theophilus in the book of Acts. And he's basically recording all the actions, thus the, thus the word acts, all the acts or actions of the disciples and the early church. So Jesus goes, ascends into heaven, tells them to go wait in the upper room, Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They are filled and they, they begin to share the Word of God with boldness. Acts 4 is talking about how they treated each other. They came together. They ate together. And people sold land and brought the money to the apostles to do whatever they wanted with it to help grow the church. So, Joseph, Barnabas, is one of those guys that sold a piece of land and brought the money to the apostles. That's how he's first introduced in the Bible. We would find so much more about him as the Bible continues to be written. But let me just read it. Acts chapter 4, Luke is saying... They're doing all this. They're selling land. And then he gives an example. Verse 36. For instance, which I just love the fact that Barnabas right now is just a for instance. He's just an example in the story. We don't know anything about him. For instance, there was Joseph. The one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. Now, it's fascinating to me that that's the beginning of how we get to know Joseph or Barnabas. Barnabas is a Levite. That means that it goes all the way back to the tribe uh, in the Old Testament of Levi. Anybody know what they did? They were priests. And they tended to the temple and the work of the temple. So it's, it's likely that Barnabas definitely had some deep roots and some history with being a servant for God in a variety of ways. He comes from Cyprus. That's fascinating because Cyprus, the largest island in the Mediterranean, was extremely fertile. 
was known for how fertile it was. Sheep, the, the wool that came out of there was high in oil, wine, honey. And so it was a fairly uh, prosperous place. So most scholars won't say that they think Barnabas was wealthy, but there is this idea that he had some money. And at his age, when he's doing this, to sell a piece of land and give the money uh, is, a, is a significant thing, that he was even a landowner at this age. So just getting to know him and the way he thought. And he sells this land, he brings the money, and he says, do whatever you want with it. And they name him Barnabas because he's an encourager. He reaches out to others. So with that as a backdrop, let's walk through kind of five things. I'm kind of using how Barnabas lived. And in my outline, I have five things that we need to know about others. And I want you to be challenged by it, but not freaked out by it, because we have eight weeks to unpack this, okay? The first thing I want you to write down is this. Others need to be known. How, how will they change or come to Christ if you don't meet them? Now, God can do some miraculous things through the work of the Holy Spirit, but let's face it, typically in our culture, at this time, in, in the life span of the world, God is expecting us, His ambassadors, to be the agents to connect people to God by telling His story and letting the Spirit do the work. But we bring the message. The Bible says to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Disciple people. So we know we have a mandate on us to go to others. So how will you get to know people? It's not to know them to trick them. That, that would be awful. People are not our agenda. Our life with God gives us purpose that we want to show them. And that's what I'm talking about with others. So I was thinking about this. Like, who are the others in your life that you're going to have an opportunity to share with? What are the transactions in your life that are going to take place ten days from now with another person that you don't even know right now? But God is going to prepare you to be ready in that transaction. Now, I don't know how much you um, talk or, or think about the sovereignty of God, but I know of three or four instances in my life where I was led by the Spirit to, to an exact moment, to an exact place for, for a, a specific person to have a conversation. Can any of you think of divine moments like that in your life where you know God set this up for this second? Can you, can you? Okay, a lot of you can. I believe that happens. Now, I, I believe in the free will of man as well. And this is important for the context of where I'm going in a minute. So, hear this. If I step off this chair and walk over here, God didn't just like put it in me to walk over here, you know? Like if the floor would have dropped out, I wouldn't have blamed God. You put the seat. I don't pray about what socks I put on in the morning because it's going to matter in whether I can witness effectively or not. You know what I mean? And so... So I don't want us to get a little too silly about this because I think in normally living your life, you can be led by the Spirit to exact places and exact people where those intersections happen. And God uses you as His vessel in that moment. And I'm praying that the circumstances you are going through now might be preparing you to be a better agent for God two years and 26 days from now. Because the journey you will have gone through is going to create a connection for that person that God puts in your path. I don't know how all that works, but it's worth thinking about. And it's important for us to get that. How are you going to get to know others if, if you don't have a way? I would just say, you know, it could be on a plane. It could be 
on a vacation. But typically, it's not those. Typically, it's where we already live. The people who have come into my life, who I would say are others, they're not followers of Christ, but they've become friends of mine, are people either in my neighborhood or people that, uh, you know, <laughs> I should say people I work with. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we pretty much all believe that we're following the Lord here at Timberline, our staff and employees. And so um, I don't have a big net like some of you who work in a job that doesn't lead with, with Jesus. And so that could be a huge field for you to make investments in with people that you get to know because you have the joy of working beside them. You don't just have that job by happenstance. God's put you in these places and He's going to continue to put people in your life. And I think, I think I would just say, learn to think about those divine intersections and it'll change how you treat them. Number two, others need to be encouraged. Not only do, do they need to be known by you as you meet them, but they need to be encouraged. We live in a culture uh, of discouragement. That's why I love the name Barnabas. It just makes sense because a guy who encourages and comes alongside, you know, what's your name? Are you an encourager? I looked it up in the dictionary. And this is funny. Some of the things that came up in the dictionary, I would expect them, but a couple I didn't expect. Heartening, cheering up, to encourage means to inspire, to motivate, stimulation, support. And it says, a shot in the arm. <laughs> I mean, that's so random. We know what, we kind of know what that means. Another one was pep talk. Coaxing, urging, pers persuasion. Encouragement. I think that's really important. Here's the question. Do you, think, do you think people are like born with a disposition to be encouragers? You're just either born that way, you've got the DNA, or not. Like, are there some kids that pop out of the womb and go, Way to go, Mom! Good job! You rock! I don't know. I think, I think it can be a discipline that... I think, I think there's some natural gifts that probably people have that, that they tend to kind of view life a certain way. But I think it's also a decision that you make and where you put your faith and where you put your hope. What is it that you really believe and who do you really want to be? I want to be around Barnabas. I, I think it's so important for us to get this. People in this culture, listen, I'm going to say a few words and I want you to think about them. Terrorism. Shootings, healthcare, world economics, financially. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear in, in these words. And the news every single night is constantly reminding us, yes, these things are really happening and it matters. And we shouldn't put our head in the sand. I'm not saying that. But what I'm telling you is we need to be the people who overcome the fear and live in the now and bring encouragement to a world that doesn't have a, a source to get encouragement. We're the source. As the people of God, we have this hope that if the world blows up, if it's all done, we still have this hope. And nothing should be able to take that out of us. So what does it mean to somehow be someone who will say, I will be an encourager? I, uh, I think it's really important that we get this. I've, I've tried... I wrote down some ideas of how to encourage without it being fakey. Okay, because I don't like being around 
you know, the shallow and people just trying to throw weird compliments at you and you know it's to get something out of it or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I started saying, Kate, there's four things that I do that I make a point to do. And they're not in your notes or anything, but, but they're kind of short. One is always try to see the best in people. Like, like when you meet someone new, just immediately kind of mentally say, I'm going to find the best in this person. I'm going to give myself to them. They've done nothing to violate. I'm not going to start with a suspicion. Because that, that changes a lot. That changes the first five minutes of conversation. If you just can say, I'm going to find the, the best in this person. Even if you've heard about them before. Oh, you're going to meet so-and-so? Let me tell you about them. You know, then you get this. I don't do that. I just try to say, I want to see the best. Then if it becomes obvious that there's not a lot of best in them, how many of you know there's some real jerks on the earth? You know what I'm saying? They need Jesus, okay? So when they begin to prove that by what they say or that they're mean or they, you know, they don't respond or they are weird to you, then I ask this question. What happened to them to make them this way? Because then it's not personal. It's not just they're rejecting me because when we feel rejected, we tend to reject back. And that's not the answer. So, so I always try to go a little deeper to say, what happened to them? My goodness, I've said to Bonnie before, after meeting someone like this, I don't know what happened to them, but boy, it had to have been bad for them to end up the way they've ended up. And I don't know if I can help them or not, but wow, something happened. The third thing that I do is, and this sounds kind of crazy, but I hope you get this. Think about what you think about. Like, like what's going on in your mind? Are others even on the planet in your mind? Just, I wonder if you took 10 minutes this week and just tried to list down the top four things you think about in your life. What consumes your mind? Do you even have a bandwidth for putting others in there? You know, because we don't enough think about what we think about. But here's why. We know what we know, but we absolutely don't know what we don't know. I know that sounds crazy. I told you this was hard. I'll say it again. We know what we know, but we don't know what we don't know. And I think it's so important for us to get bigger in our thinking to say, there's some ignorance in my life that changes how I behave with people. And, and that needs to go away. Because to reach others, we're going to have to really work hard at understanding what we think about and why we think about those things. So anyway, give it some thought. And don't be confused about what confuses you. <laughs> the last one was, uh, Roy Plummer taught me this. He, he was on our staff. Anybody remember Roy and Gladys Plummer? Awesome people. Um, he was on our staff when I came part-time. And an older gentleman, he's since gone to be home with the Lord. But I walked into the restroom over at the building on LeMay one time, and he was in there wiping the counter off with paper towels. And I said, did you make a mess over here you have to clean up? And he said, oh, no. I said, well, what are you doing? He said, let me give you a little phrase. And he had all these little phrases. He says, always leave it better than you found it. Always leave it better than you found it. And, man, I, I, that stuck in my mind. And I, I've tried to teach our kids that and, and, and me that. Always leave it better than you found it, especially as it relates to people and life. Okay, I've got to hurry. Number three, others need to be heard. Now this, this one, this can get really complicated, but listening is a skill. 
Barnabas had something in him that was willing to listen. And he listened a lot more than he talked. He got people talking, and he didn't have to be the talker. Um, There's kind of three kinds of listening. The first one is when you let someone vent without any response in your mind or your heart. You're, You're not even interested in responding because all they're doing is venting and you know it. And the conversation on your end goes like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when it's all over, they say, thank you, I feel so much better. And you say, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? There's nothing required of you. It's just, you're just a door. And, and they're just, they're venting. The second kind of listening is where you actually use your ears and mind And as they are talking, you are discerning their heart and you're thinking about an opinion or a response to what they are saying. Now that's that's usually what happens in good listening is you are filtering what they're saying and you are aware of what is going on in their brain because they're speaking to you. And you may have something to offer if they let you in. If they're really asking for your opinion, then you might have thought about something that could help them. But you might not want to give your opinion unless they want you to. You with me? Very important. The third kind of listening is listening to judge. And I see this in people's lives where all they do is they just listen to catch someone doing something wrong. They're trying to catch them in a lie. They're trying to catch them and throw them off. And, and that's not listening. And I'm glad. Jesus was a listener in that number two. He listened carefully. And then he discerned the situation. And then he had some solution that if they were willing to hear it, he would tell it. But he, he didn't always offer it. If no one wanted it, I mean, he says to the rich young ruler, go sell everything. Oh, yeah, no. And, and, and he walked away. He didn't go into the why. He didn't go into breaking that all down for him. He just said, okay, you don't want to hear the truth. So if we listen in this way, you know, I, I did learn young in marriage, thank God. Um, came home one day, Bonnie had had a bad day. Now, I'm a pretty optimistic guy, so I'm always wanting to help people not have a bad day. So she's venting, so this has not been a good day. Here's what happened, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, it doesn't mean it's not a, 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 a good day. I mean, she's, it's a bad day. I said, no. Well, let's have a good evening so you won't have a bad... No, I am having a bad day. Okay, this day sucks. I hate this day. I never want to have this day again. This is horrible. Now, you want to go to a movie? <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't know. How many of you just need a bad day once in a while? It's okay to have a bad day. It just is. And, and I think we need to pay attention to how we are listening because if I would have said to her... <laughs> If I would have said, did you have your devotions this morning? <laughs> that would have been the worst thing. Uh, it just it goes on and on like that. She has a lot of good days, very few bad days. Me too. Number four, others need to be equipped. Now, the reason I, I like this one, this is going to take some, a little more meat on the bones. And, and we're going to open this one up a little more next week because... You can't equip people that aren't asking you to. You can teach by example and you can be a role model that they can follow. But to really equip people and to get into their life takes time and energy. 
And that's something that, you know, not everybody has that much of. I, we, our whole pastoral team went down to Denver Seminary together and spent a half a day with Gordon McDonald when he was the president. And one of the things he said, he said a lot of profound things, but one of the takeaways for me that day was, he said, it's really easy to get into somebody's life, but it's very difficult to get out. And I went, wow, that is huge. Because sometimes you get into somebody's life trying to do what I'm talking about today, others, and it all of a sudden sucks you into time, energy, phone calls, follow-up. And when someone else is wanting to come into your life, you might need to go, wait a minute, I'm already in really deep here. That's why this excites me, is because you can go deep with a few. Listen, you can't do this with everybody. I get that. You'll die. But there are thousands of us. And if we do this with an open heart and we do it well, we're going to be a church that equips people out there in our community. And so I just think, when I, when I think of equipping people, the first thing I think of is, first of all, my bloodline. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my all to people in my bloodline. Our children, our family, uh, my grandson, um, my, my mom who's still living. I have four sisters. I'm gonna, I want to equip them at the level they want me in their life, and that's a priority. Okay? The second level for me is just the things where I have responsibility. People who work, quote, for me or with me. If I am responsible to be a boss or I'm responsible to have authority in certain areas, then I want to be equipping those people. I want our staff to feel equipped by Timberline. I want to make investments that I wouldn't otherwise make, but because we're in this journey together. And I would ask you the same. Some of you who are employers, those of you who are supervisors, you know, who is it that you can equip that in some ways have to listen to you? Make their life better by what you invest, by putting the right things in them. And I don't mean it's just God talk. I mean just making them a better person. But don't be afraid to have God conversations when the opportunity comes along. The last people that I equip are permission connections, where they give me permission. I don't know them from Adam. But they'll come up to me and say, look, I need you to help me figure this out. I don't have a clue. And would you have time to talk with me? And... I'm a good prayer. I'm not a counselor, but I can talk with people and pray with them and help them if I can. But I think that's just a permission connection. Not everybody will give you permission to speak into their life. We're going we're to find that out as we go through with, with Barnabas. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Let's equip people. The last thing I want to say is, it has to be, there's one word left out of these four. What's the last one? Loved. Others need to be loved. I put it last because it's the highest priority that we have. As a matter of fact, if you, if you love others, you'll do the other four. Because the other four come right out of truly loving people who are not yet connected to God. And respecting people wherever they are in that journey. I, I want that view. I, I have to just kind of wrap this up with, by asking you this question. Can I view others in a way that when I meet them and I see them, the first thing that comes into my mind is this. Does God love this person? Does, does God love Cindy? Yes. And she happens to be real sweet. But let's, let's pick someone who's not so sweet. Um, <laughs> no, Doug, I wouldn't pick on you. 
there are some not-so-sweet people at church. Sometimes. Not at, not at the 10 o'clock service. <laughs> if I have a filter that says, does God love this person? And it's always yes. Then it changes my ability to offer that love and care to do what I can do. Even if they're shutting me out. Even if they're mean to me. I can still know that God loves this person and they matter to God. And I might be the person who's brought into their life. And getting frustrated back and exchanging words is not going to build the bridge. But finding a new way to connect with a person who's not asking to is loving them and caring for them. And then in that moment, when their life falls apart, you might be the person they call. I have story after story of people, this one guy, I'll tell you next week. (laughs) William Booth sent us a message. Others. That's, That's why we exist, you guys. Get yourself fixed. Get get what you need. But don't live your whole life just for you. Let's be a church that says it's about them. It's not about me. And you're living that out. And our personality as a church shows that and reveals that. Our budget shows that. And I'm, I'm proud of that. But I want to read John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus says this at the end. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Wow. If I sort of did the man camera thing and went downtown in Old Town in Fort Collins tonight after the game and I said to people what do you think of when I say Christian I wonder how many of them would say I think those are the people that like love everybody so much I wonder if one would say that yet this is the thing that marks and separates us from anything else in the world it's how we're supposed to be identified Barnabas I want your name to be Barnabas. I want my name to be Barnabas. Let's be the encouragers on the earth. Pray with me. Lord, it's hard to do sometimes. We're challenged by this. And we need grace. And I thank you for this room. I thank you for people in this room who believe that you have a plan for their life. And you will use them for others. Others. If you need faith in God today, pray this prayer with me. Lord, Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me. I come to you. I bring my sin to you. And I believe you died on that cross for me. And I want to start today by living my life for you. Secondly, and I don't want you to raise your hand for this, but I I need you to in your mind right now just own it if you're, if you're self-centered. A lot of your thoughts are about you. What you do, where you're going, your life your friends, your whatever. And and God wants to pull you out of that today. But you have to acknowledge it. Just shake your head to God and say, I'm going to do better at this. Remind me that there are others that I can, I can have room for. The last thing that I want to pray is this. I want all of us to say yes to this. I will be aware of opportunities, transactions with people that come across my path. And I will be more open and discerning about how to have a conversation 
about building a friendship. Not just to run away, walk away, and do my thing. But if someone comes into my space, there's a reason. You guys, that takes a lot of awareness. It takes a lot of discipline to retrain us. I'm, I'm working on this too. And I know you can't say yes to every person. But I want you to be discerning about who's walking into your space. There's a reason why they're there. And pray about who that is. Lord, give us that insight and that discernment. That even this week, we can have connection, a meaningful conversation with others. For the glory of God, we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. So fun to serve you and have fun learning together. um, Let's make a difference. Ushers, come. Thanks for your giving, for your generosity, for believing and giving through Timberline. We really are making a big difference in our community and around the world. And it's fun to know that and be able to say that and do it together. So God bless you as you give today.